Uh, before we dive in, let's just ask God to bless our time together, open up our hearts uh, as we hear from God's word. Father, uh, we are so grateful for this day, so grateful that through Christ alone we have salvation, uh, so grateful that uh, he intercedes on behalf for us uh, in your presence. So be with us now, Holy Spirit, as we spend some time walking through the word, open up our hearts to hear your voice, to be led uh, in ways that uh, will grow us more into the image of Jesus. And so uh, we give this time to you now, in Christ let me pray, amen. So like I said, Colossians 2, and one of the themes that we're going to see through that text today is this idea of stability. This is really what I want to focus on. I believe that Paul really clearly speaks to this idea of finding stability, being established in Christ. And maybe when you hear stability or think about stability, there's probably some mental images or a definition that you think of when it comes to stability. Maybe it's a person who's very stable in life, or maybe it's an organization or a company of some kind that you just kind of think that, that's stable, that person's stable, that organization is stable. And I would say the, the same thing is also true when we think of instability. Maybe we have a, a mental image of a person or, or an organization against. We, we kind of know what stability looks like, and we know what instability looks like. Now, when it comes to the instability, one example that I think of is, is actually something that happened just a few years ago in Honduras. There was, this was 2015, and there was this little village in the mountains near Tegucigalpa, which is the capital of the country. It was called Angel City. And there was about 250 homes built in this little village. So a, a, a thousand or so, a few thousand people that were living uh, in this small community. Well, on August 11th, 2015, the homes, about 120 of these homes actually, began to crumble and crash and fall down into one of them, really just falling apart. It was, it was really kind of a mind-blowing thing, made, made national news in 2015, and we saw this, this happening before our eyes. And there was 130 homes left standing that actually had to be demolished in addition to the 120 that fell on its own. The reason the homes had to be destroyed is because as they began to crumble and as the homes around them began to crumble, the houses at the bottom of the mountain were being damaged from the debris that was falling from the homes up top. It was really kind of an interesting story. You can actually go online and find these homes kind of leaning sideways and into each other and rolling down the hill. It's really quite bizarre. So what happened? What was the result or the cause of this result? It really was determined after they did some investigation that the land was defined as geologically unstable. It was not fit to build on. Any homes that would be built there would ultimately suffer catastrophic failure. This was the result of Angel City in Honduras. And if my investigative research is correct, about a year prior to these homes being demolished and, and destroyed in these, these movements of this land, uh, it was actually determined that this land is, is not going to hold up. These homes are probably going to be destroyed. They actually knew this and not sure where the disconnect was. Homes were still built and, and thousands of people were displaced. So you think about small families trying to find a nice home to raise their, their kids in and, and enjoy a safe and friendly, friendly, friendly community. They, they were now finding themselves homeless. Or some older folks enjoying their sunset years, just wanting a, a nice place to retire and enjoy a nice community, now had to restructure what the rest of their time would look like. It was really a tragic situation. It was a catastrophic failure. And I think one of the things that we learn from this illustration is stability really matters. 
Stability is really, really important, not only for the homes that you and I may live in or the homes that we see and we saw in this illustration, but also for our spiritual lives as well. Stability really matters. And this is kind of the, the crux of what Paul is going to be getting at in our passage of Scripture today. He wants the Colossian people to know, he wants you and I to know here today that Jesus is our stability. Jesus is our only sure foundation. And if we want to, to live lives for the glory of Christ, we want to build on Christ. If we build on something else, then we suffer spiritual catastrophic failure in our own lives. So we want to build on Christ. This is what Paul is talking about in our text today. In Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 6 to 15 today, walking through a few different themes. And as we read uh, through these passages, through these verses, you'll really kind of find four themes that, that really are spokes. And if, if, if the center of the bike wheel is stability, you'll see spokes coming off this. I think there's four that we see. We see the source of our stability. That's number one. We'll see the security of our stability. Number two. Number three is the supremacy of our stability. And number four, the cost of our stability. Let's read these verses together. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty to see according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So as I said, as we work through the text, you're going to notice these four themes being established throughout these 10 or, or so verses. The, the first one we talked about was the source of our stability. We'll see this right out of the gate in verses 6 and 7. You, you notice that Paul clearly defines the source of our stability, the source of the stability in the lives of the Colossian church. He says it's Jesus Christ. And in verse number six, he says, just as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And I love how Paul phrases this. And I, and I think it's an interesting choice of words for Paul. In fact, in Paul's writings, this is the only time that Paul will use the word receive, perlambano in the Greek, referring to a personal object. Typically, when Paul is using this, he's talking about receiving some kind of tradition being passed down or some kind of knowledge being handed out from one generation to the next. Think, think Mr. Miyagi. Think Mr. Miyagi passing down his knowledge of karate to Daniel in the movie The Karate Kid. See, Daniel's being bullied at school by Johnny in the Cobra Kai. He gets the knowledge of karate from Mr. Miyagi, and bam, he wins on the crank kick at the end of the movie. That's, that's the knowledge being passed down from Mr. Miyagi to Daniel. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about just an oral history of Jesus. 
that the Colossian folks did not just hear about Christ or learn about Christ. He's saying you've actually received the person of Christ. You've received him as Lord. This is how Paul actually wrote this in the Greek. Just as therefore you receive Christ Jesus, the one who is Lord, in him walk. Not the teaching of Jesus, not the idea of Jesus, the, the one who is Lord, the person of Jesus, walk in him. Now Paul is, 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 is really giving a rebuttal to some of the false teachers who promoted an alternative way to salvation. They were not interested in the, in the person of Christ, in the Messiah as Savior, but rather, or, or the way to salvation, but rather traditions that, that one could reach on his own or her own and have a so-called salvation. And so Paul in this text is reminding the Colossians church that you don't have just a knowledge, an oral history, a teaching. You have Jesus himself. You have the person. And because of that reality, because of this truth, walk in him. Walk in him. Remain living in Christ. Remain growing in Christ. It's not unlike the word abide. Paul's saying stay right where you are, church. Stay right where you are. Keep walking in Christ. Keep growing. Become further established in Christ. And to really highlight his point, he gives a couple of analogies. He gives a horticulture analogy, and then he gives a construction analogy, right? He says, be rooted. That's, that's the horticulture analogy. And it means to be firmly established. That's what rooted means. It's, it's, that's where we find this idea of stability. It's being rooted in Christ. That's the horticulture analogy. Then he says, and also have your lives built up in Christ. That's the construction analogy. He's saying live lives for the glory of Christ. All that you do, do for the glory of God. And this is why Paul is bringing them back to the things they have been taught in verses, verse number seven. Remember the things you've been taught. Build your lives in Christ. Be established in Christ. Find stability in Christ and do this with thanksgiving. So Paul says, what's the source of our stability? Who is the source of our stability? It is Christ alone. It's nothing else. It's Christ alone. And Paul continues to dive more and more into this theme, especially as we get into verse number eight. And this is where we see our second theme of security. Not only is Jesus the source of our stability, he's also the security of our stability. Notice what he says in verse number eight. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so here what Paul is doing, he's, he's building a dichotomy between the deceitful philosophies of sinful people and the philosophy, the teachings, the knowledge, the wisdom of Christ. He's warning the readers of this letter about the seductive nature of the false teachers that, that have been influencing the church, and they have to be on guard against these teachers. He says, see to it, be on guard, be careful that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. What, what a pastoral thing to say from Paul. Be careful. I see where these teachings are headed. I see what's being promoted. I see how it's influencing. Be careful. Be watchful. Protect your heart against these teachings because it can destroy and ruin your soul. He clearly claims that these teachings have no value. There's, there's no substance here. But he's also well aware that these teachings can be seductive. And they can allow one to compromise his or her heart. It can allow them to take their focus on Christ, find stability in something other than Jesus. So it's a very pastoral warning. Be on guard. Think, I think it's interesting to know that Paul will use the word philosophy here as well. That's what he calls these false teachings. Now, now Paul isn't saying philosophy in and of itself is wrong. 
I mean, the definition of philosophy itself is to love wisdom, to be a respectful of wisdom. And I think that's a good thing, especially when it comes to biblical wisdom. We want to be biblically wise. We want godly wisdom in our life. There are passages that speak to being wise, to asking for wisdom. So this is not what Paul is saying. But what he's saying is be, be on guard against the deceptive philosophies. And these are the things that, that when they're taught and when we believe and are influenced by them, it can cause us to make some really bad choices and lead us, some down, lead us down some really, really dark paths. And he really mentions three categories of deceptive philosophy. He says, be on guard against human traditions, be on guard against the elemental spirits of the world, and really anything anti-Jesus. That's, that's what he says in the text. See, human traditions, the, the, this deceptive philosophy, would be any truth that humanity has arrived on at its own, has no biblical basis whatsoever, and it can be used to manipulate vulnerable people into thinking something is true when it's actually false. And I think we have some examples in our world. I think we have some extreme examples. You know, one of the extreme examples that I think of that we've seen, maybe some in our lifetime, is People's Temple. This was the cult led by Jim Jones, who manipulated vulnerable people into doing things and believing things that were not true. Another extreme example I think of is Heaven's Gate, the cult led by Marshall Applewhite, both of which were manipulative, they were conniving, and ended in loss of life. Hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands, taking their own lives at the, at the leading and teaching of these men. But I think there are some less, less subtle ways we see this, or more subtle ways we see this as well. Maybe not so much in the extreme, but maybe more in the center, maybe even mainstream. One that I think of is the prosperity gospel movement. Now, this, is a, this is a movement where you have, you have teachers and organizations influencing people, particularly below the poverty line, to give to a certain organization or individual in the name of Jesus or for Jesus. And either they will receive their salvation or God will increase their giving at an inflated rate and will propel them out of the poverty line. It's, it's, just, it's an evil gospel. It's not the real gospel. It's destroying people's souls, finding stability, not in Christ, but in human tradition. But I think there are also other wicked philosophies and theologies we can find ourselves into as well. Any kind of works-based theology where we're striving and working, saying, if I can just have the scales tip in my favor at the end of my life, if I can do good more than I do bad, God will show favor in my life. And that's a wicked, evil theology. It's not the gospel. The gospel says we don't find salvation on what we do. It's in the person of Christ alone. We can't find stability in these evil human traditions. The next category that Paul talks about is the elemental spirits of the world. And I think there are a couple of interpretations that you could draw from this. Elemental spirits can mean elementary teachings, elementary principles that one can part, uh, participate in. Maybe specifically for the Colossus Church, it was the elementary principles of Judaism, where you follow the law, obey the law. This is how you find favor with God. But, but it can also mean the supernatural beings, supernatural spirits of our world. And maybe both is what Paul had in mind as he's, as he's writing this. But essentially what Paul is saying is church, Colossian church, don't find your stability in the elementary things of this world. It's, it's empty, it's, it's deceitful philosophy. You won't find stability in these things. Find stability in Christ alone. And what I love is if you look back into chapter one, Paul really kind of builds the contrast between these evil philosophies and Christ, the supernatural and who Jesus is. I love what he says in chapter one, verses 15 to 20. Listen to what Paul says. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. 
He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Where the thrones or dominions or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Then everything, he, Jesus, might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul's clearly saying Jesus is before all things. It's not about deceitful philosophies. It's not about human traditions, the elemental spirits, the the spiritual beings in our world. It's about Jesus. Find your stability in him. There's security in that. There's, There's nothing but decay in everything else. Do not find your stability in the supernatural things of the world. Don't find your things, your stability in the the teachings of the world. Find stability in Christ alone. He's the source and he is the security, which really leads to the category number three. Well, anything anti-Jesus. Paul's saying avoid it. Avoid it. Don't build your life on anything that's anti-Jesus, anything that is opposed to Christ. We have to guard against that. I think that was a wise word for the Colossian church. I think it's a wise word for us here today as well. Highland Church family, we would be wise to listen to the words of Paul. We want to to guard our hearts from building on anything that can derail our faith spiritually. We do not want our own angel city spiritually where our houses are crumbling around because we have taken focus off of Christ. We're building on something else. So you and I cannot embrace earthly slogans and messages more than we embrace the message of Jesus we have to be on guard on anything that will derail our focus. See, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to build on something else. That's when we feel the ground beneath our feet begin to shake a little bit. That's when we feel the decay happen. That's when we feel like things aren't quite stable because those things aren't stable. Jesus is our stability. He is our security. When we focus on Christ, we see the source. We see the security of our stability And this really leads us to point number three that we see in our text, the supremacy of our stability. He is supreme. He is above all things. The the reason Paul says to the Colossian church to guard your hearts against such deceptive philosophies is because these philosophies die in the light of the gospel of Christ. They cannot hold up. Notice how Paul describes and defines the supremacy of our stability in verses 9 through 12. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the drop the mic moment for Paul. Because in just four verses, he completely destroys and dismantles any of these humanistic philosophies that one could fall victim to. It reminds me a lot of the ending of the movie, The Wizard of Oz. You, you remember the end of the movie when Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Lion were approaching the, the great wizard for the final time. And there's fire shooting up and he's got a big head with a loud voice and he's very intimidating and they're a little bit frightened and a little bit scared. And then you see little Toto running to the curtain and pulling back the curtain. What does the wizard say? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Because what do we ultimately see? 
we see an old man, Professor Marvel, pulling some levers and speaking into a microphone. And when we see the facade for what it really is, when we see not this great wizard, but some, some old, old guy pulling some levers, it loses a little bit of the fear in, in the hearts of the four that are there, doesn't it? They're not as scared as they were. They're not as intimidated as they were. Well, in this text, Paul's pulling back the curtain. He lets the readers know that no power that this earth can ever produce will ever outshine the glory of Christ. No teacher that is, that is promoting and teaching a false theology will ever hold up to the scrutiny of the person of Jesus Christ. And no one will ever supersede the majesty and the glory of Christ. And Paul, in, the, in these in this just a few verses, demolishes these, these false ideas, these false theologies. It really does it in a two-point argument. There's two big points that Paul makes here. First, he says, hey, this, this God that we're speaking about, this person, Jesus, he, he's God incarnate. He is God incarnate. Notice how Paul phrases it. He says, for in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I love how Paul puts that. I also really love how the, the writer in Hebrews puts it as well. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making a purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I, I love that Paul and the writer of Hebrews are saying, hey, this Jesus that we're talking about, he's not just like God. He's not just a God. He is God, the God of the Bible. He is God. And no false teaching, no person, no power can ever stand under the weight of the greatness of God. This is what Paul is saying. Jesus alone is great. He alone is worthy. He alone is supreme. But you know, Paul does not just highlight this. There are other passages in the scripture that talk about God's greatness as well. I love what Paul does in verse number 10. He says, let me just tell you how great Jesus is. He says, if you have been filled in him, he's the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of all rule and authority. He alone is great. But what about some other passages in scripture? Where else does the Bible talk about God's greatness? Let me just share a handful of these with us. First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Psalm 95, 3, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And Psalm 86, 8 to 10, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are, there are none like any of the works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And as we pull back the curtain of the unstable things of our life, of this life, and, the God's, and God's greatness, the glory of his gospel comes through, then we see the supremacy of Jesus, and it pales everything else that's around it, anything that we can find hope or stability in. Our supremacy is Christ. Our stability is Christ. And that's the first argument that Paul builds is, hey, Jesus is God. And then secondly, he reminds the Colossian church of their union with Christ. This God that we have, we are at one with him. We just sang about that a little bit ago. This is what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism 
in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See, see it's likely in, in the Colossian church they're still being very much influenced by Judaism, which required all males to be circumcised if they had any hope or chance of being fully obedient to the law. But what is Paul doing here? Once, once again, Paul is pulling back the curtain. And the bright light of the gospel is shining on this teaching and reminding them that when they believed in Lord and Savior of their lives, it became a glorious reunion with Christ. See, Christ's death was applied to them. His resurrection was applied to them. Once they believed, they experienced the full weight of justification being declared righteous by God. They experienced that in their lives. And no human tradition No deceptive philosophy can ever provide stability like that. He is the supremacy of our stability. Anything else you and I choose to build our lives on will crumble and decay. Christ is supreme. And as we think about this stability, as we think about the person, the work of Christ, the the stability that you and I enjoy, you know, that came at at a high cost. There was a price that was paid for that. that. That leads us to point four of our sermon, the cost of our stability. We see our text ends with these couple of verses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, the stability that Christ's followers enjoy is based solely on the person and work of Christ. That that was true of the Colossian church. That is true of you and I as well. See, this text clearly gives us an indicator of our spiritual condition apart from Christ. So Paul says that prior to conversion, particularly to the Colossians and all of, all of humanity who's apart from God, that they are dead in their trespasses and the uncircumcision of their flesh. They were, they were dead in their trespasses. There's nothing they could do to change that state on their own. He's saying that in their former condition, you are, you are separated from God. You are actually enemies with God. You're far from God. And the same is true of you and I as well. If we have not believed in Christ as Savior and Lord, we are far from God. We are apart from God. We are actually at war, enemies with God. But Paul doesn't leave us in that space. Paul doesn't leave the Colossians in that state. He, see, he goes on to say that through the power of God, through the finished work of Christ on the cross, we are made alive together with God. And he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, because of our sin, it demands a payment And Scripture clearly teaches that payment. The wages of our sin, Romans 6.23, is death. And we also read that justice has to be served. And we learn from this text that Jesus paid it. The debt that we owed, the justice that we deserved, the, the righteous wrath of God being poured out on us was poured out on his son. Jesus took the payment of our sin and he nailed it to the cross. The cost was high. The cost was great. But Jesus nailed it to the cross as we see. He paid it in full. Nothing left is owed. It's all paid in Christ. We just believe and receive the finished work of Christ by faith. We also read that on the third day he rose again. 
bringing victory over sin and death to all who would believe in Christ. That was the cost of our stability. Jesus took the record of our debt. He nailed it to the cross. We owe nothing. We believe in Christ. It's paid in full in Christ. And so through the course of this text, we've seen the source of our stability is Jesus. The security of our stability is Jesus. The supremacy of our stability is Christ. And it cost him his life. We see the cost of our stability. He willingly laid his life down, canceled the record of debt with its legal demands that stood against us, and we go free as we believe in Christ. So as we come to the end of our time together, how do we apply this? How do, we, how do we live this out on a regular basis? Let me just offer three ways that we can apply this text really practically. Number one is this, and maybe the most important point. If you've not believed in Christ as Savior and Lord by faith, I want to encourage you to do that today. I pray that the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart and has made you a lot to be able to receive and believe this truth today, the gospel of Christ. Trust in him for salvation Maybe you've been believing some of these deceptive philosophies where if I just give a certain amount or do a certain thing or perform a certain way, then God shows favor. Clearly the gospel is this, that we are sinners apart from God and our works are as filthy rags. And Jesus took our sin upon himself and he nailed it to the cross and he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands by nailing it to that cross. And as we believe, we have oneness with Christ And God looks at his son Jesus and pardons us through the work of Christ. Believe in the work of Jesus today. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't pay for it. It's through Christ alone. That's that's application point number one. Number two is this. Remember where our stability rests. Remember where our stability lies. It's not in a person. It's not in anything other than Jesus alone. We need to look no further than Christ. He is our stability. He is our refuge. He puts to shame all other counterfeits that promise hope. He puts in the shame. Remember where our stability rests. It's in Christ alone. And kind of coupled with that, that means we need to stop finding stability in other things. You know, stop finding stability in our spouses. Stop finding stability in our careers. Stop finding stability in the, the finances that we have or the money that we earn or the jobs that we, that we have or our recreation. We need to stop finding stability in these different things and find stability in the person of Christ. So think about just for a second, where have you, where have I been placing our stability? Because that's when we begin to feel the ground shake a little bit. That's when we notice some decay in our life. That's when we feel some of the brokenness of our world. Stop finding stability in other things. Let's find stability in Christ. And number three, let's remember that our our union with Jesus, as Paul reminded the Colossians, let's be reminded of that as well. We have a union with Jesus. I mean, think about the, the different places that Paul mentions our union with Christ in the text. You know, right away in verse number seven, he says, be rooted and built up in him. You have been filled in him, in him you were circumcised, verse number 11, having been buried with him. Now listen, that just speaks of how amazing, how glorious our God and Savior is. And it also says that we can do nothing on our own. We are, we are at one with Christ. Christ paid the debt. He did the work. We believe by faith in him. We come into a glorious union with him. Remember our union with Christ. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't scratch and claw our way to it. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I know that's the American dream, but it's not the gospel. 
We want to believe the gospel. We want to remember our glorious union with Christ. And I pray that today, starting today, that we find stability in the person of Jesus. We find our source, our security. We see him as supreme and we remember the cost. And some of you, I know you've been doing this for a long time. I'm grateful for your example. But maybe some others of us in the room have not done this so great. Let's seek the face of Jesus, build our lives on the person of Christ alone. May we find him as great and glorious above all things. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful that these things have been written to us so that we can continue to grow more and more into the image of Jesus. And God, for the areas where we have failed to place our lives and build our lives in the person of Jesus, God, we repent. We return from those things and we turn towards Jesus Christ. May we just continue to have a a pursuit, a passion to grow and to look more like him. God, for those who have uh, not place their faith in Jesus here today. I pray that, God, your spirit would continue to move in their hearts, shine the light of the gospel into our dark places. God, may you be glorified in what is said and done. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.